So Christmas is a time for us especially to focus on Jesus' birth. We want to think deeply about what did it mean that God became a man and was born as a baby? What does that mean? We want to worship the Father for sending his Son. We want to praise Jesus for coming. So this is a time to focus on Jesus' birth, to think deeply. But that's not easy to do for a number of reasons. One is, think about the pull of the world, and then there's also our own sinfulness in our hearts. Think about Satan's power. So these all kind of team up together to make us so busy during the season, so distracted during the season, so preoccupied during the season, that we can just feel so flustered that we don't get any time thinking deeply about Jesus. And so that's why we're spending four Saturdays, starting this morning, to look at different passages which will take us deep into what did it mean that Jesus came? Why did Jesus come? Why was Jesus born? That's our focus over these next four weeks. And our goal is that God would use these scriptures here in our lives as Grace Church to help us resist the pull of the world and our own sinfulness and Satan's power to resist all those so that we can come before the manger and worship and love and adore. That's our longing for these next weeks. This morning, we're going to focus on Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. A little bit of background on the book of Romans. It was written by Paul to the church in Rome for at least two reasons. One was to strengthen their faith in Jesus Christ. And another reason was to share with them his vision of taking the gospel for the first time to Spain. Gospel hadn't been taken to Spain yet, and he wanted to go there and was hoping that they could help him along the way. And so he gives an overview of his whole understanding of doctrine. Starts off with creation and how we've all turned our backs on God, and the whole, all of humanity has plunged themselves into sin and are under God's wrath, but that God in great mercy sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins, so that by trusting Jesus, not by works, not by how much we obey, but by trusting Jesus, we would be forgiven, transformed, brought into relationship with God, and from that point on, know God's grace poured into our lives every day, now, and forever. That's the summary of Paul's theology. And in Romans 8, verses 1 through 4, today's passage, Paul focuses especially on how God sent Jesus, and what he did in sending Jesus to be born of the Virgin Mary 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem. So what happened when Jesus was born? Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the requirement, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
Now let's start by focusing on verse 1. And let's ask, what is true of all those who are in Christ Jesus? Read verse 1 again. This is glorious news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What's true for all who are in Christ Jesus is that there is no condemnation. Now, to understand the impact of that, we need to remember that before we trusted Christ, there was condemnation. There was condemnation. We were all under God's condemnation. And one reason it's hard for us to feel the weight of that is because we we don't really understand what the Bible teaches about sin and about what it means to be good. Too often we think that before we were saved, our lives were, well, we weren't too bad. We were, we were pretty good. There were a few, yes, I did sin then, and yes, I did sin then. There were a few moments of sin, but for the most part, we were pretty good. That's how we all tend to think of our lives. But that's not accurate. We need to let God's Word shape our thinking. That's not what God's Word says. Look at what God's Word says. It's right, the same book of Romans, chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. This is shocking, but just let this start to sink in. Romans 3, verse 10. Paul says, as it is written, and then he starts to quote scriptures from the Old Testament. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Shocking words. No one of us did good before Christ, before we were saved. So it's not that you were, you know, mostly good and sinned every once in a while. The truth is we did no good. Now why? Why would Paul say that? It's because good isn't just a matter of maybe telling the truth or working hard at your job or, or this sort of thing. Good is all about seeking God. That's what we see in this verse. No one seeks for God, verse 11. No one does good, verse 12. Now just kind of think, sit back and think. God is the infinite value of the universe, far more valuable than, than anything else. I mean, think about it. Everything in existence, everything in existence was created by God and for God. The only reason you're here is because God chose to make you. You owe your entire existence to God. And so just by sheer virtue of creation and what God has done, it's clear that God is more important than anything else as the creator is more important than the, than the creation. So God is of infinite worth, ultimate value. And since God is the ultimate value, and our lives should involve seeking what's of ultimate value, therefore our lives should be focused on seeking God. That's what makes something good, seeking God. But as Paul says, before we were saved, none of us sought for God. None of us. That's why he says, before we were saved, none of us did anything good. 
Now you might think, wait a minute. I mean, didn't we like give to charities? And didn't, didn't we help people across the street if they needed help? And didn't we do anything along those lines? And we did do things along those lines. And those things were good for others. They brought good to others, but they were not good in God's eyes. Why? Because before we were saved, they involved nothing of seeking God. We weren't doing it for the glory of God and because we loved God and because we wanted to enjoy more of God. Here God is the infinite value of the universe and we'd all turned our backs on God and we'll all do a few good things over here, a few good things over here. And why did we do them? We did them maybe to feel a little bit better about ourselves or to not feel so guilty or maybe to impress other people. But we were turning our backs on the ultimate value of the universe, doing these things which we were thinking were good. And Paul says they were not good because you weren't seeking God. So don't look back on your life and think, I was, I was pretty good with a couple of moments of sin. None of us did anything good because none of us were seeking God. Now, that, that's a radical new thought for some of us, I would guess. But again, what we need to be doing is letting our thinking be transformed by the truth of the scriptures, not having our thinking be conformed to the thinking of this world. That is the truth, brothers, sisters. And the more clearly we see that, the more stunned we will be at what God has done for us. So think about being in a courtroom, and God's the judge, and this is You've, you've, let's say you've not trusted Christ in your life, and so God's looking through your life, and just understand that every year, every month, every day, that year, that, there's just nothing good there because all our lives long, we had our backs turned to God. And that's why we face God's condemnation. That's why we face God's judgment. But now with that in mind, look again at chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Even though up to that point our lives had nothing good in them but only deserved condemnation, the moment we are in Christ, God says, God the judge says, that one's in Christ, no condemnation. That one's in Christ, no condemnation. No condemnation? No condemnation. Not any condemnation? Not any condemnation. Well, yeah, but when does the condemnation start? No condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the question is, how do we come to be in Christ Jesus? And I hope you know the answer to that. It's by faith in trusting Christ. By trusting Jesus Christ. The moment you turn to Christ and trust him as your savior, I can't save myself. I've, I've sinned against you. I need, a, I need a savior. I need your death on the cross. The moment we trust Jesus as our savior and as our Lord, I want to submit my life totally to you. Look at that love. Look at that mercy. I will trust you forever. And the moment we trust Christ as our all-satisfying treasure, you are the joy I've been seeking all my life. The moment we put our trust in Christ, our status changes dramatically, instantly, from total condemnation to no condemnation. So how much condemnation is there for those who are in Christ Jesus, church? I think you said none. Is that right? No, none, not any. Okay, you get the idea. But Paul says something more, too. 
Verse 2 answers the question, how can we be sure we are in Christ Jesus? Being in Christ Jesus is really important here. How can we be sure we're in Christ Jesus? Look at what he says, verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus. Notice the exact same phrase. Has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and of death. So being in Christ not only means no condemnation, being in Christ also means you are set free. So the way you can be sure you are in Christ with no condemnation is because you've experienced being set free. I have been set free. Yes, that's true. That's how you can tell. So what does that mean to be set free? How does that happen? Paul says it was by the law of the Spirit of life. Now that word law can mean one of two different things. It can mean uh, like a, a statute, a, a written law, like, like the laws of Abu Dhabi, okay? It can mean law in that sense, a written statute. But it also can mean a power, like the law of gravity. That's not a law written somewhere that gravity follows. That's just what gravity is. It's a power. And in this verse and in this context, power is what makes the most sense of that word law. And so the law of the Spirit of life is the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit who gives life. The power of the Holy Spirit set you free in Christ Jesus from the power of sin and death. So the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, not only was your status changed from condemnation to no condemnation, but you were freed from being enslaved to sin's control to being freed from sin's control. Dramatic change. Now, you did not become sinless, but sin's power was broken. You're no longer under its dominion. You're no longer under its control. Set free. Let me tell you the story of Michael Graham. This is just an amazing story. Uh, for 30 years, he had diligently followed um, India's most famous gurus. This guy from Australia, for 30 years, diligently followed because he was seeking spirituality, transcendence. He wanted to meet God, to know God. He knew there was more. But as time went on, he became disillusioned. I mean, he was extremely disciplined, and he saw some amazing things happen and experienced some very powerful supernatural encounters, but there was no life in them. He never met God in any of it. And so he started reading the Bible. Let's see, let's see what else is out there. He started reading the Bible, and he read about Jesus Christ. He read about the gospel. And slowly but surely, he came to the place where he knew this is the truth. I need to trust Jesus Christ. He heard that Billy Graham was coming into town. He'd heard about Billy Graham. This would be a perfect time to pray and, and put my trust in Christ. So he went to the Billy Graham meeting, went forward afterwards, and that's the moment when he prayed and said, Jesus Christ, I trust you. Forgive me. Change me. I want to submit to your lordship. Fill me with your joy. And what happened when he did that? Here's what he said. What followed was extraordinary. Remember, 30 years of seeking, 
What followed was extraordinary. From that day to this, I have never been the same. I felt renewed, regenerated. This indeed was a miracle. From that day forth, all the changes of heart and mind I had pursued for 30 years was given to me by grace as a silent gift of the Holy Spirit. For all those years, I had been a dead man walking. Now I had come alive. I love that story. That's what Jesus Christ does. That's how the Holy Spirit frees us. Everyone who trusts Jesus becomes transformed. The Holy Spirit frees us from the power, the control of sin and of death. The Holy Spirit gives us such a taste of Jesus' reality and of his presence and of his love and of his strength and of his hope that we are able to press on through trials. We're able to say no to temptations. I mean, I mean, why? The inferior temptations of the world are nothing compared to the joys of knowing Christ. Why slurp up a, a scummy, mucky puddle of green water when you've got like crystal, cold, clear, mountain brook, but snow melted, what else can I say about it? Like really, really good, clean water, right? Why would you slurp up a scum of green muck when you've got the living water of Jesus Christ to drink from? So when the Holy Spirit makes Jesus real to you through the scriptures, you are strengthened, you are comforted, you are filled, you have hope, you have power, you can say no to those inferior pleasures, you are changed, you are set free from sin's control. That's what takes place. So verses 1 and 2 of Romans 8 are amazing. For all those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. You're set free from sin's condemnation, and you're set free from sin's control. For all those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, now don't miss how amazing this is. Ever since Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, all of humanity have faced two heartbreaking, tragic problems, devastating problems. One, we were all under sin's condemnation. Our sinfulness made us just turn our backs on God, not interested. I want my own control. I want to do things my own way. And we were under sin's condemnation. And because of our sinful nature, we were under sin's control. Devastating heartbreaking problems that covered all of humanity ever since Adam and Eve sinned. But in Christ, all those who are in Christ are freed from sin's condemnation and are freed from sin's control. Now, how did God do that? Paul answers that in verses 3 and 4. Let's ask the question like this. How can God do this for sinful people, for people who deserve condemnation? How can God do this? And the answer is by sending Jesus. The answer is Christmas. The answer is the manger. That's the answer. Look at what Paul says, starting in verse 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Now, now pause there. Paul says that God did what the law can't do. The law can't 
free us from sin's control. Because the law is weakened by the flesh. Our flesh, our sin is stronger than the law. We all experience this, right? I mean, thou shalt not lie, okay? And then you go and lie, right? Was it? Well, but it said don't lie. I mean, there's no power there. Words on a page cannot change the human heart. Laws cannot change humanity. Our flesh, our sinful nature, stronger than any Old Testament law, and not just Old Testament law, when you think about it, stronger than any law. Ten Commandments, self-help books, New Year's resolutions, right? Laws can't change us. Now just think about this. The implications of this are massive. Laws can't change us. But every other religion just gives laws, steps, approaches, resolutions. Every other religion just gives laws. But God gives a Savior. A Savior. Laws can't change us. The Savior can change us. That's what Paul's talking about here. So keep going in verse 3 or start at the beginning again. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now, now pause there. There's a lot of words here, a lot of explaining to do. This is how we are freed from condemnation. So important that we understand this verse. Let's think about it. How did God free us from sin's condemnation? By sending his son, by sending Jesus. Remember how God said, this is my beloved son. In him I am well pleased. God loves his son. God the Father loves God the Son. And he sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. In other words, Jesus took on a human nature, took on a human body. Jesus never sinned. That's why it's that he was in the likeness of sinful flesh. He had human flesh, but sinless. Jesus Christ is the only human being ever who has never sinned. That's Jesus. So he came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And the reason he took on human flesh was so God could condemn our sin in his flesh. This is crucial to understand. We don't often talk this way, but this is a powerful picture. Read verse 3 again. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Whose sin did God condemn in Jesus' flesh? Our sin. Not Jesus' sin. Jesus had no sin. He condemned our sin in Jesus' flesh. Think about it like this. The moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, God took all of your sin. This is glorious, church. Took all of your sin, all your past sin, all, all your past sin, God took, and all your present sin, God took, and all your future sin, God took. God took all of your sin the moment you put your trust in Jesus, and he put it on 
Jesus. And he condemned your sin. All of your sins need to be condemned. God is just. And he condemned your sin in Jesus. That's what God did. He punished Jesus for your sin. He condemned, punished your sin in Jesus' flesh. And because your sin, all of it, has already been punished in Jesus, how much more punishment do you now need to face from God? None. Do you see that? Do you feel that? The rest of your future is Every day, God's love running towards you with everything you need, caring for you, affection for you, delight in you, forgiveness for you. The rest of your life for eternity, never anything out there of condemnation or of punishment because it was all punished in Jesus. So I just want you to think for a moment about what this teaches us about the Father's love and about Jesus' love. I want you to feel how costly God the Father's love is. It's not cheap. Cost him. Fathers, think about your son. Sending your son. Punishing your son. Costly. He who did not spare his own son, Paul says in, in, uh, later on in Romans 8, but delivered him up for us all. Oh, the father gave his own son to be punished because he loves us. And think about Jesus willingly going to the cross. Yes, he prayed, Father, if there's some other way, please let's do it. There's no other way. All right then. I want to love, I love them. I want to save them. And so Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem knowing that the cross awaited. Jesus was nailed to the cross. His hands nailed, his feet nailed, scourged, hung up, torture for hours, horrible humiliation and agony because he loves us. So please see the costliness of the Father's love and the costliness of Jesus' love. Listen, there is no other love anywhere in the universe like God's love for us expressed in Christ. No novel or no love song or no love, any, there's, there's no love anywhere near like the love that God has displayed for us in Jesus Christ. Oh, I've been praying lately. Father, help my heart just to melt with how much you love us. And Jesus, I want my heart to melt with love for you because of how much you've loved me. And Grace Church, may God cause our hearts to melt with love for Jesus Christ this Christmas season. The costliness of his love. That's why Jesus came. That's why there's no condemnation. Because all of your sin was put upon Jesus and condemned, punished, in Jesus. But there's more. Paul's not done yet. Remember verses 1 and 2, for all those who are in Christ Jesus, no condemnation. Verse 1, we are freed from sin's condemnation. Verse 1, and we are freed from sin's control. Verse 2, and then verse 3, the reason we're having no condemnation is because God sent Jesus and condemned our sin in Jesus' flesh. That's why there's no condemnation. But how did we get freed from sin's control? Read verses 3 and 4 together. That's where the answer is. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh 
in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh. We've been freed, but according to the Spirit. Now, the big question is, who fulfills the righteous requirement of the law? And most all of us would automatically think, well, Jesus did. Because that's what the Bible teaches in other passages. That's what we've heard. And Jesus did. If Jesus hadn't perfectly fulfilled the law, none of us could be forgiven and have no condemnation. But Jesus did perfectly fulfill the law. That may be what the beginning of verse 4 means. But commentators are split, kind of 50-50 down the middle. Some say that is what it means. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. Others say, yes, Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. No doubt. Other passages teach that. But we don't think that's what this verse is saying. This verse is actually saying something a little different if you read the whole context. And I won't go into all the details. But Paul does talk in other places about us fulfilling the law. For example, just jot this reference down. Romans 13, 8, five chapters later. Remember this verse? Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. The one who loves has fulfilled the law. Now that does not mean we fulfill the law perfectly. It doesn't mean we are sinless. Not at all. It doesn't mean that our obedience to the law earns salvation for us in any way. It does not. We are saved one way, by faith in Christ, not by works, not by obedience. Are we clear? Please no one misunderstand this. But once we've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ and there's no condemnation written over our lives and we've been set free from the law of sin and of death, we are changed. And so we do, in a sense, a very real sense, fulfill the law. Remember, the law told us what to do when we sin, right? What did Old Testament Jews do when they sinned? They would, they would bring an animal sacrifice. They would pray Psalm 51 like David prayed. They would be forgiven because of what those sacrifices point to as what the Messiah would do. They didn't keep it perfectly, not at all. But they fulfilled it in a very real sense. I lean kind of towards that one. Maybe you can tell. Both are possible. You study it some more on your own. I don't want us to get lost in the weeds here. Let's kind of come up and, and grab some air. Here's the big picture. Here's the takeaway. Verse 1, for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. Verse 2, for those who are in Christ, we are set free from sin's control. How did God do this? Verse 3, by condemning sin in the, in the flesh of his son Jesus. And because we have a no condemnation verdict, God can pour out his Holy Spirit upon us who changes us, transforms us. So we no longer walk according to the flesh. Now we walk according to the Spirit. We're not sinless, no, not till heaven, but when we do sin, Father, forgive me, cleanse me. We're back, back on the road. We are enabled by the Spirit to walk in obedience, and we are moved by the Spirit to confess when we sin, and that's what Paul is talking about. We're walking according to the Spirit, no longer according to the flesh. That's the main point of verses 1 through 4. No condemnation and set free from sin's control. Now, Three takeaways. First, trust Jesus as your Savior 
and your Lord and your treasure. Trust Jesus. I'm sure in a group this size, some of you are not yet trusting Jesus Christ, and we are so glad you're here. But oh, we want you to see. Do you see the love of God in sending his son, Jesus, and loving us so much that he would condemn our sin in his flesh? Everyone who trusts Jesus, all of their sin punished in Jesus' body. So there's no condemnation. And then the gift of the Spirit who transforms us. You today can know that there's no condemnation upon you. And you today can walk out renewed, transformed like Michael Graham was. No more dead man walking. Now you're alive. You know God. Your heart is filled. There's the love I've been looking for. There's the joy I've been seeking. There's the beauty of knowing God my Father. There's what I've created for. Trust Jesus as your Savior, your Lord, and your treasure. Second, understand that because you trust Jesus, you have no condemnation. This is to those of you who are trusting Jesus Christ. We all have times in our lives where we feel condemned, don't we? I do, and, and you do. Come on, be honest. We all have times when we feel condemned, like, okay, God's mad at me, maybe because you're going through a trial, right? Or maybe because someone has, has hurt you in some way. I must have done something wrong. I'm being punished. Maybe because you've sinned, okay? All you need to do is just, Father, forgive me, and you'll be assured, no condemnation. But see, we all have times in our lives when we tend to think we're under condemnation, Satan, after all, is the accuser of the brethren and the sisters, the brothers and sisters, right? So think about those times when you feel like you're under condemnation. What I want to urge you to do is at those times, open up Romans chapter 8 and read and pray over verses 1 through 4. Read over 1 through 4, pray over 1 through 4. I believe, help my unbelief. I'm not feeling it right now. Help me to understand that you took all of my sin the moment I trusted Christ and you put it upon Jesus, and you punished my sin. You condemned my sin in Jesus' flesh. Help me to see that. Help me to feel that. And as you pray and as you seek his face, he will give you a fresh outpouring of assurance, forgiven, no condemnation, loved. He will do that for you. Don't settle for times of condemnation. Don't do it. When you're feeling under condemnation, if you, if you sit there, if you settle there, you are a sitting duck for temptation, aren't you? We're just wide open, like, hit me, Satan. Okay, you're wide open. Don't let that happen. Fight the fight. That's not holy feeling condemned at those times. Press in, confess, repent, receive, no condemnation. So that's the second takeaway. Third, Understand that because you trust Jesus, sin's control is broken. It is broken. Now, we have to understand this because there are times when we feel tempted so strongly that we think impossible to resist, right? You think that no one could resist this, or certainly not me. And that is a lie. Because you're trusting Jesus Christ, sin's control has been broken. That padlock opened. Bing! The chains fell off. 
Now, we still have to battle. It is not easy. But you will never face a temptation that God won't give you the grace to fight and overcome. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, jot this verse down. No temptation has overtaken you, Paul says, but such as is common to people. And God is faithful. He's faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you, by God's grace, aren't able to overcome. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape that you can endure it. So when you are tempted, don't ever think that this temptation is too much. It is not too much for what God's grace can do in your heart right now by the Holy Spirit. Ask a home group leader or one of the elders or a friend, what scriptures would help me? I'm being tempted in this way. And then open up and pray over those scriptures and cry out to God and seek his face. And Lord, help me. And he will always help you when that's what's going on. So three takeaways. Trust Jesus Christ. Trust him as your Savior, as your Lord, as your treasure. And then understand that because you trust Jesus, you have no condemnation, never will. And because you trust Jesus, sin's rule is broken. Sin's control is broken. You are free. That's what Christmas is about. That's what was happening in the manger. God sent his own son. When, when Mary was in wonder as she held the baby, that's what was going on in her mind. That's why the, there was a, an army of angels singing up in the Bethlehem skies, right? That's why the angels were coming with great joy. That's why the wise men came with gifts and bowed down before Jesus. This is why Jesus was born. So let's worship. Stand together. Thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being born. Thank you for freeing us from sin's condemnation and for freeing us from sin's control. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.